You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. We are currently in a sermon series called Where We Are and Where We're Going, a vision series on direction in an unprecedented time. So if you get a Bible, we're in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, and so if you're just joining us or just joining us online, we're, we're kind of in a just a small, quick series before we jump back into the book of Matthew uh, that we've entitled uh, Where We Are and Where We're Going, kind of these five burdens that your pastors have. Uh, they're just basically these one-off sermons that we feel like we want to address and talk to our congregation about. And so today um, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about marriages and uh, I get it, and I know we, not everyone that is with us this morning, either in person or online, is married. And I'm just asking you to give me a little grace uh, to let me specifically talk to husbands and wives uh, for the next few minutes. And so um, I do think there's things that obviously apply, no matter if you're married or not married, uh, that apply across the board. But today I am narrowing my application and kind of speaking to husbands and wives. And so hopefully you'll give me some grace and come back next week and I'll make sure we talk about everybody and not just uh, a segment of our congregation. All right, so let's stand together in honor of reading God's word. Hebrews chapter five, I mean Hebrews, Ephesians chapter five, uh, starting in verse 22 and reading down to the end of the chapter. So hear the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. And so for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum it up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. So Father, we uh, come to you once again just asking for your help. Lord, we need your help to understand, and not just to understand, but more importantly, to live out of these truths, God. You're, you're putting before us life, and I pray you would uh, help us in our unbelief, and help us to believe that this is the path and the way to life. And so, God, we need your help. Guide us, direct us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, so one of the desires and outcomes, and you guys may have heard me talk about this before, is as far as like uh, our church and one of the things that we want, we got like five of them. One of them is this, is that we want healthy homes. And I believe that the foundation for a healthy home is a healthy marriage. Not perfect marriages. No one, let me just kind of just get it out there. No one has perfect marriages. No, we're not striving for perfect marriages here. You know, on this side of heaven in a fallen world with a fallen body and brokenness of sin, we are after healthy marriages. And healthiness can look unhealthy for a period of time. Amen? 
Because unhealthy, you could be in an unhealthy marriage and I can say you're still healthy because you're acknowledging that it's unhealthy and you're moving toward health, right? So, so we are desiring to see healthy homes with a foundation of healthy marriages. And so I, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I, um, I think has come about in the season that we're in during COVID, coronavirus, however you want to call it here, over these last six months here, is that it's, um, it's had a way of exposing things to us. Not necessarily uh, creating things, but maybe exposing things that, that lay dormant, that um, maybe you just didn't notice because of just the busyness of life. And so this, this forced slowing down, especially early on, has a way of exposing elements in our lives. And, and maybe, and I'm not saying this is the case for everyone, but maybe it exposed some things within your own marriage. Things that, um, that maybe you didn't notice, didn't see, wasn't aware of, but with this sort of forced um, slowing down, it has kind of revealed some things in your own marriage that you're going, wow, I didn't even know that was there. And in fact, you kind of want to keep pushing it down and get distracted with the business's life and not really deal with it. And so what I want to do this morning um, is, is I'm, I, I realize, all right, number one, uh, one sermon on marriage is not going to fix everything. Amen? It isn't. I'm not, I'm not that naive to think that one sermon on marriage is going to just like totally radically, radically change your marriage overnight and tomorrow you wake up and boom, everything's amazing, right? I, I get that. It's one of the reasons why we started a ministry called Grace Marriage because we, we want to create a rhythm in our church body to where we're working on our marriages on a, on a rhythm that's throughout the year where we gather together four times a year to work on our marriages because we do believe that it takes work to kind of have the marriage that we desire and want here. So I get one sermon's not gonna fix all your problems, but at the same time, and I don't think I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, there is always hope. The word of God is powerful. We don't just read the word of God because we think this is what we're supposed to do to be a Christian, whatever. No, we read the word of God. We, we unpack the word of God. We're people of the word of God because we do believe that the word of God does do something in us. It is powerful, as the writer of Hebrews says, sharper than a two-edged sword. And so, at the same time, I realized one sermon is not like going to fix everything. And I'm also recognizing, too, that whenever we speak the Word of God, that something is happening. That the Spirit of God is doing something in our own hearts and lives. And so we're, we're people that, that kind of come in with this tension, realizing it's going to be work, but there's always hope. All right? And so all I want to do today, this is what I'm trying to do, Lord willing, is I am just trying to give husbands... Here's one thing that I would say, if you can look to this, no matter where your marriage is, maybe your marriage is more on the healthy perspective and things are clicking and going well for you, or maybe your marriage is on more of the unhealthy end of it and things are not, maybe you're just in the middle here. I'm just going, what's one thing, husbands, that you can look to, focus on, direct your energies toward, toward that has the potential to really change your marriage over the next six to 12 months? And same thing with wives. What is one thing that you as a wife can kind of focus on, lean into over these next six to 12 months that has the, the potential to have a, a drastic impact on your relationship with your husband? And I think 
That's what Paul gives us here in this classic passage on marriage. And I don't know if you heard that at, the, at, ver, at the verse 33 where, where Paul, you know, I love how the, uh, the CSB translates it. To, to sum it up, right? I mean, it's like, I don't know if you, if you felt that when we're reading these 11 verses. This is a dense passage, right? This is not like spend 30 minutes unpacking this passage. You could spend like a year trying to really unpack all that's going on here, dealing with little words that makes our underwear get in a wad like headship and submission and, and you know, even quotes, you know, Genesis chapter two and talks about this mystery. And, and I don't know, I, I sometimes feel like Peter, when I'm reading Paul, you can read First Peter or Second Peter, I can't remember where it was, but Peter basically says, sometimes I just don't understand what Paul's talking about. And I mean, it's like, thank you, Peter, for saying that. Because you can go to a passage like this and go, all right, man, what am I to do, right? I'm just, I'm trying to work on my marriage. And I, I don't even know what you're talking about here, Paul. And I love verse 33 because it, it's almost like Paul anticipates that. It's almost like, hey, you know what, guys? <laughs> If this is a little confusing, if, if you need more time unpacking this, let me give you the summing, all right? Here's the summation of what I'm trying to say. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, you want to know what to do? What, what do I focus on? In a nutshell, this is what I'm trying to tell you. Husbands, love your wives. And wives, respect your husbands. There it is. There's your one thing. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Yes, a lot more in there. But I'm just trying to give us like, a, like some kind of handle to step up Monday morning and say, oh, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm working on. And so let's dive into this and look at these two kind of summations that, that Paul gives us. Let's start with husbands first. Husbands, Love your wife. Now, I don't know about you. When I first read that, I'm going, duh. <laughs> right? It's like, well, that's profound. You know? I, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. Totally. I'm with you, Paul. Right? So why in the world would Paul have to command us as husbands to do the obvious or we, we would think is the obvious, right? Like, love your wife. Well, yeah, for sure. Well, I'll, I'll tell you why I think he does. First of all, you got to remember Paul when he's talking about love here, and we'll dive into this in just a minute. You know, love, you know, I've heard it defined like this as not, you know, a feeling, but an action or a feeling. It's a, it's a verb, you know what I'm saying? You know, the DC talk, love is a verb. But hey, so thanks for a few people know what I'm talking about there. And I would say yes to that in part, right? Yes. I, I think it's both, not either or. Love is a passion. It's a desire. It's a feeling. You, you want that. You know, we're not robots, Dunk, dunk, dunk. No, we're, we have passions, we have desires, and love is a part of that. But also our action of love is paramount and, and in very important. And this is what Paul is emphasizing in this passage of Scripture when he's commanding us as husbands to love our wives. Not just the feeling and the emotion of it, but the action of it. And what I find in my own life and what I've found talking to a lot of husbands is that this is something that they assume instead of acting on. And we use language like this. She knows I love her. Does she? 
well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working, blah, 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 and I'm fighting for the family, and, you know, goodness gracious, how does she not know I love her, man? Look at all I'm doing for her. Does she? I think part of what Paul is even doing in this summation is, is exposing us men to some of our own uh, deep faults, like our faults, our vices, what we, we have a tendency to kind of fall into a pattern of assumption that my wife knows I love her instead of acting. They follow me? And so that all of us as husbands are on the same page and we know what this love is to look like, what's the model, what's my imitation, who am I to look to to know how to love my wife? Look what he says here in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So here what Paul is saying, summation, husbands, Love your wives. And so that we know the kind of love that this is going to be or the kind of love that Paul has in mind here is think about Jesus. Think about what he has done. Husbands should do for their wives what Jesus did to bring us into union with him and oneness with himself. So what was that? What did Jesus do for us? Well, Jesus gave up himself for us. Jesus, the Son of God, though equal with the Father, gave up his glory and took on a human nature. He willingly, no one forced him to do this. He willingly went to the cross and paid the penalty of our sin, removing our guilt and our condemnation so that we could be united with him. He died to his own interests and looked to our needs and interests instead. Jesus' sacrificial service to us has brought us into deep union with him and he with us. And that's the picture, right? That's the model. So we as husbands are to love our wives as Christ has loved the church. Not exactly, right? You know, we're not to imitate this exactly because we can't go and do all that Jesus has done for us. But there are implications that we draw from this truth. And those implications are is that his love was what? Selfless. He looked to our interests, not his own. His love was self-sacrificial. Like that's the bent of his heart. 1 Corinthians 13, I mean, the famous love chapter, that's the model, the picture of the love that Jesus has for his bride. And that's how we as husbands are to love our wife. Now follow me here, because sometimes I think what uh, unfortunately gets emphasized in this passage of scripture are those two words that really bother us, submission and headship. And I, I would put before you that those get emphasized at the expense of what Paul's trying to emphasize. I mean, if you just read those 11 verses, the one word that is repeated more often than any word in those 11 verses is what? This is not a trick question. Say it out loud. And it's not Jesus, all right? That's, that's usually always the answer. But what is the word? Love. I mean, reread it. Love, love. Love, specifically of husbands. And so that tells me this, that 
when we come to these words like that are hard for us to kind of get our minds around, like submission and headship, that love needs to be kind of the dominant theme to help us understand what submission and headship means. For example, I'm not going to talk about submission, but I am going to talk about headship because that's specifically toward husbands. Look what he says here in verse 23. Because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And so for many of us, when we hear headship, we think what? Power. We think um, headship is equated to kingship. And so I don't, I don't know what home you grew up in or what your family of origin looked like. I don't, you know, uh, but, you know, I grew up in a home and I love my dad. My dad passed away about uh, 18 years ago. Love him, did the best that he could. So this is not throwing my dad under the bus in any stretch of the imagination and don't want to dishonor him. Just trying to help you see where what I absorbed was a very wrong understanding of what headship is. And so what I absorbed growing up is that headship meant like he's the head of the household basically means that he's the king. And whatever he says goes. So mom's responsibility or his wife's responsibility was to make sure dinner was ready when he walked in the door, to make sure it's a meal that he actually likes and enjoys. And if it's not, then he would pick it up and throw it out the door. Literally, that happened at our table one time. We had peas and those got chucked out the back door. And it's like, looking back on it, you kind of laugh about it right now. <laughs> but it's like, it's peas for crying out loud, Dad. But as a 12-year-old, that's like, what in the world is going on in here, right? That's... What I grew up in, headship, power. And that's not what Paul is getting after here. Headship does not refer to power, but listen to me, but to responsibility. You following me? Headship does not refer to power, but to responsibility. Headship is about crucifying your power and privilege in order to love your wife. That's what it's about. I love how Russell Moore talks about this in his book, The Storm-Tossed Family. So how does Christ love and lead his church in these ways? Talking about Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. He does so by doing this, laying down his life to the point of crucifixion. A husband's leadership is about a special accountability for sabotaging his own wants and appetites with a forward-looking plan for the best interests of his wife and children. Headship is not about having one's laundry washed or one's meals cooked or one's sexual drives met. But look at this, but rather about constantly evaluating how to step up first to lay one's life down for one's family. Headship, will not seem often to the outside world to be being the head of one's house at all. Headship will look, in many cases, like weakness. And so does the cross. So leave that up here for just a second. So sometimes when you hear the command, husbands love your wives as Christ has loved the church, that's, that's, that's what the one thing you're going to focus on, it seems so abstract, you don't know what the first step is. And so I, I want to offer a step, not to say the only step, but here's a step. And it's written kind of in that little paragraph where it says, but rather about constantly evaluating how to step up first to lay one's life down for one's family. So Jesus took the initiative 
to pursue after you and to know you. And so not the only aspect, but one aspect of how we can love our wives as Christ has loved the church. You, husband, take the initiative to know your wife and know her better. I know what some of you might be thinking. Lyle, we've been married for 25 years. I know my wife. I've got her all figured out. It's awesome. Well, you're an anomaly. Amen? <laughs> it's like you're a unicorn. All right? Like, hallelujah. Praise God for you. Come help me. Amen? Right? Others of us, if you've been married a long time, you're going, maybe you're thinking this. Oh, you know, I've been trying to know my wife, but it is impossible. I'm done. Right? <laughs> Raise my hands. I surrender. Well, here's, here's what I want to just encourage us. No, part of how we love our wives as Christ has loved the church is we take the initiative to know them and grow to know them because and you know this, but sometimes we forget. Our wives are constantly changing. I mean, I love how, and I've talked about this before, but I love how Tim Keller in his book on marriage just kind of reminds us that, that part of what happens even on both sides of the marriage relationship is that you're just continually growing on how to love the stranger that you wake up next to, right? I mean, quoting a Duke ethics professor, uh, he's, she says this, we never know whom we marry, we just think we do. <laughs> or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage being the enormous thing that it is means we're not the same person after we have entered into it. The primary problem is this, learning how to love, which Paul is putting that responsibility primarily on the husband and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. And then Keller goes on in commenting to this quote. He says this, Therefore, the moment that you marry someone, you and your spouse begin to change in profound ways. And you can't know ahead of time what those changes will be. So you don't know, you can't know, where your spouse will actually be in the future until you get there. Over the years, you will go through seasons in which you have to learn to love a person who you didn't marry, who is something of a stranger. You see, I, I personally think that taking the initiative to know and continually know my wife better is loving because the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. You stop caring. So men, husbands, be curious. I don't care how long you've married. Be curious about your wife. Ask questions. Seek her out. Initiate conversations. Find out what her needs are and joys, what makes her laugh, what are the struggles she has in this season, what are the insecurities that she has right now, what's creating anxiety and fear in her, what makes her angry. What does she need from you? And 
And learning how to love in this way is not something that you get at, after day one or day 1,000 or day 3,000 or day 6,000. It's a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong struggle. And maybe hearing this right now, husbands, maybe it feels really overwhelming. If that's what you're feeling, then you're in, you're in your good place because you should feel overwhelmed about it. Because the call that Paul's putting on our life is pretty overwhelming. It's, it's up there. And you're supposed to feel your inability, right? Because your inability is to drive you to the capability that is in Christ Jesus. It isn't to go, I can't do it. You're right, you can't do it. But that is to drive you to your need of Jesus, to your need of his empowering presence in your life because you cannot love your wife like this, but Christ can in and through you. And so look, look, I'm not trying to, you know, make this so abstract where you can't step in. I'm just saying like, that's how you step in. You recognize I can't do this, but God through your spirit and through your presence in my life, help me. Take the initiative to know your wife better. So husbands, love your wives. Second, wives, respect your husbands. Now I have to admit, this is, um, I mean, this is just hard to stand up here and speak to wives, right? It's like, it feels a little self-serving because I am a husband, you know what I'm saying? Like, Kathy, respect me. You know what I'm saying? Like, just feels kind of weird, all right? So just, just give me grace. And remember, this is not Lyle saying this. This is God in and through Paul saying this. So these are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. But look what he says here in verse 33 again. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself. And then here's the one instruction to the wife. The wife is to respect her husband. Interesting word that Paul uses here for respect. It's the same word that he uses in verse 21, or not the same exact words. It's a similar word. Um, it's in verse 21, it says this, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. The original language, it is the word that we get fear. So it's interesting. Like, obviously, Paul is not saying that we need to be afraid of Christ. Fear of Christ is about awe, worship, respect, reverence, right? And that's why most translations will kind of translate that word when it talks about wives with respect and revere and not, and not fear because fear kind of carries English connotations of being afraid here. And so even, even with that, it's, it's, it's sometimes like, okay, what, what's Paul getting after? Because the, the word itself in both places communicates this sort of holy awe is what he's after. And so, yes, I'm not saying that respect is not a good translation of this word. It's just sometimes English words don't carry the whole. And so I'm just trying to get my mind around it. And, and one of the words, as I've studied and thought about this, that kind of captures the essence of what I think Paul is saying here is the word admiration. That wives admire your husband's even saying that right now feels weird for me to be real honest with you. But I do think, follow me guys, I do think it's speaking into a need and a longing that men have. They want respect. They want admiration 
That's what kind of fuels our tank. And so, I mean, even in my relationship with Kathy, like, if I never use this kind of language because it feels weird to me, but that's what I long for. Like, I want her to be pleased with me. I want her to, to, to be always for me. I want her to be in my corner. I, I want her admiration. And whenever I feel and experience her admiration, all other aspects of my life can be falling apart. If there's admiration for my wife, boom, I can get through whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, there's something that happens in me that gives me strength, power, perseverance to get through whatever's going on in my world. So it's, 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 a, it's a longing that I have in my own life, and God has um, graciously gifted us as husbands with a wife to kind of feel this longing that we have. When they admire us, there's something that happens in me as a husband, and I don't really want it from anyone else. I don't. I could care less who admires me if my wife doesn't. Are you following me? Like, that's what I long for. It's what I want. And, and yes, maybe um, it may sound self-serving from a husband's perspective, but it's not self-serving from the wife's perspective. Because when the wife is giving respect and admiration, that is being selfless. Are, are you following me? And so, at the core of what I believe Paul's trying to do for us in marriage is he's trying to move us away from ourselves. Not that we dismiss our needs or not acknowledge the needs that we have. I'm not saying that, but there is something that Paul is saying, look, I'm trying to move you away from yourself and toward one another and toward the cross. And when that is happening in the context of a marriage, not perfectly, right? We're all crooked timbers. We're not arriving yet. Amen. But when we're doing that in the power of the Holy Spirit, in an imperfect way, we're moving toward one another and toward the cross. There's a way that our needs get met and they kind of sneak in the back door. Now, obviously, wives, this does not mean, you know, admiration at all cost, Right? You know, well, my husband's a big fat jerk, but I got to admire him because Paul told me to, you know, or, you know, he's cheating around on me, but I got to admire it. No, I'm not. I mean, kind of silly. I think you hear what I'm saying. I'm not, I don't think Paul's saying we admire at all costs. In fact, I would say that respect and admiration is seen in your confronting of his vices. When you confront his selfishness. When you confront that that was hurtful, that word you said in that tone was, was hurtful. That seems arrogant. That seems prideful. Now granted, guys, look. Your relationship needs to be in a way to where it can handle that. And some of you may not have a relationship where that can happen. And if that's the case, then I want to encourage you to, to invite someone else in. Invite someone else to kind of have conversations with you so that this kind of dialogue can happen. But please hear me. Paul's not saying admiration at all costs, but at the same time, Paul is encouraging you, wives, to pay more attention to what your husband does right, see his character, and be quick to compliment, quick to praise, quick to affirm 
because your husband needs that. I would say that the enemy of respect is contempt. One writer says it like this, disagreement is inevitable and marriages survive it, but contempt is deadly and always kills a marital bond. So wives, if you'll let me, let me ask you a few questions. Do you feel more contempt or admiration toward your husband? What does your husband hear from you consistently? How do you need to change your words so that he hears your respect and admiration? If you're a student here um, in middle school or high school, just if you're a guy, I, I want to encourage you, um, take a shower, clean yourself up, <laughs> put deodorant on, brush your teeth, comb your hair, you know, wear somewhat nice clothes, if you, whatever that is for your age. Um, look presentable, Right? This lady is drawn to you, you know, by the way you look. And more importantly, build character in your life. Give your life to Jesus first and foremost. You turn 16, get a job. Get a crappy job. Work at Domino's, work at some food industry. Whatever it is, it will build character in your life. It really will. And your future wife will thank you for it. Become a man who's admirable. Young girls here in middle school and high school, be drawn to young men who have character. They have integrity. They're honest. They're not braggadocious. They're humble and pay attention to how they treat their mom. Because if they treat their mom with disrespect, then they will treat you with disrespect. Husbands, love your wives. Take the initiative to get to know your wife. Wives, respect your husbands. I'll end with this quote, and then we're done. David Brooks says this in his book called Second Mountain, and I like the last sentence primarily, and that's why I want to end with it. He says this, when you agree to marry, you're agreeing to be completely known, a scary prospect, living as we instead of an I is a transformation of the routines of daily life. The thing you love about the person is connected to the exact thing that will come to drive you the craziest. Her caustic, caustic wit can sometimes feel like cynicism. His emotional sensitivity can feel like neediness. The only way to thrive in marriage 
is to become a better person, more patient, wise, compassionate, persevering, communicative, and humble. When we make a commitment, we put ourselves into a pickle that we have to be more selfless to get out of. And in essence, what Paul is trying to say, I want husbands and wives to move toward more selfless action. And the only way that that's even possible is in and through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He has to empower you to be this in your home. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.